Evening. It is July 19th, 2018 on Thursday. It's good to be back. I was gone last week, but Josh was here and I think he held down the fort just fine. I was a little nervous, but yeah, I worked. <laughs> he did just fine. Um, I heard most of it, but I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. I got busy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm such a supportive girlfriend. <laughs> you know, last night I, we watched, uh, we watched, um, Howard Stern with David Letterman. That was that was pretty good. And I'm sure Howard Stern at the beginning of his career was a little nervous. Oh yeah, but he was born with a perfect radio. Voice. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I mean yeah. it. It defines radio. Of course, we're not as crass as Howard Stern. No, I don't think Howie would let us unless we were to rank this beyond our x-rated or something like but that then like, again, like we're, the lethal lockdown show but then yeah. again this is me and you and i don't think we're going to get that class yeah. on air and we're not going to be starting fights with people no so. we don't really do that <laughs> <laughs> so um we got some stuff coming up um in a couple weeks we're going to be at spook show convention that's oh my god so far away from us yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like i thought 20, 30 minutes away from us at the Matt Toon Cross County Mall, August 3rd and 4th. Um, Willie Atkins heads that up, and I hope to see some of our returning uh, there. And then um, also, uh, before we get to our guest tonight, tomorrow I'm going to be recording a show, but it won't be recorded live. Um, we had a schedule conflict, but I've been wanting to talk to Zuri Alexander for quite some time. Um, she had a film entered in the Art Inequality Festival back in about in April. And so we're going to I'm going to record an episode with her um, tomorrow on Anchor. And then I will post it on our Night Moves Radio Facebook page and on the Rift Travelers page. So um, she is a film writer and an actress in her film Quiet Denial won at Art Inequality. And it also um, is at the L.A. Film Shorts right now. She's an all-around nice person. Yeah, she's too. great. Yeah. She, she even came to listen to my speech, my presentation. Yeah, she was really impressed by her speech. Oh, yeah, she was so nice. Um, but tonight, um, we're going to talk about our guest. And, oh, Lord, I hope I say his last name right. Uh, Joe Bo oh. Bonadonna. Bonadonna. And Josh, tell our uh, people about Joe. Joe Bonadonna is a heroic fantasy um, sword and sorcery uh, author. And he's also wrote some uh, some um, science fiction planetary romance stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he's, uh, his work is, uh, a lot of it is very, uh, I mean, has very... Uh, supernatural horror elements in it 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's best known for his work, uh, Dorgo. It's called Dorgo the Dowser. He's wrote two two series, and it's about this. Two, I mean, two books in this series, and it's about uh, this uh, hero that uh, can uh, has the power to detect. Uh, you know, things that go bump in the night, like mm. vampires and werewolves and everything. And it takes place in another, another, uh, in another world, secondary world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a sword sorcery. Uh, so, um, yeah, he, uh, he's a pretty, pretty awesome author. Uh, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm happy to have him and he's a really nice guy too. Well, it looks like he's logged on. Um, Go ahead and let's see if this is him on the other line, and we'll see if that's him. Good Hi. evening. Welcome to Night Moves Radio. Hi, Ariana. Hello, Joe. Hi. Hi, Hi Josh. Hi, Joe. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. How are you? I'm all ready for you. I took a few notes, so I don't uh, so get some questions. And I answer, you know, I don't want to select uh, a few of the people who have collaborated with me and helped me out, you know, over the last you know, eight years now. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm ready to answer questions or whatever, you know, however you want to do this. Cool. Glad that you're prepared. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to be prepared just a little bit. Um. Um, Josh kind of told me a little bit about you and um, I looked up your Amazon Facebook page and was checking out your books and your um, biography. So um, I'm sure Josh has got plenty maybe prepared to ask yep. you because Josh is actually really familiar with your genre and your type of writing. He also tells me a lot about space opera. He'll tell me about different books and stuff that's space opera. Yeah, space opera is uh, awesome. I, I've written one novel in the space opera, and my next novel coming out will be sort of a sequel to that, but it's Sword and Planet, which is basically it's set on one planet instead of traveling through space, and, um, you know, the weapons used are not always um, high-tech weapons. Sword and Planet is um, dead. Uh, Edgar Wright Burroughs, John Carter of Mars, where space opera is more Star Wars. Cool. Yeah. I own yeah. What? 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 Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. What? What were you gonna say? Um. Uh, you know, when when people ask, you know, what's the difference? We space opera and sword and planet. It's like, well, I know it when I read it, but I always say space opera is Star Wars and, and sword and planet is, you know, uh, John Carter of Mars, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Barsoom uh, series. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, honestly, uh, Joe, just I'm curious, uh, what did you think of uh, Disney's adaptation? of uh, John Carter. There's been mixed reviews on it. Some people love it and some people hate it. I loved it very much. I really, really liked it. Um, I was surprised that it didn't go into the the truly big bang finish like you would see in so many movies. I mean, it had a, you know, it had an exciting 
climax to it and all, you know, with the, with the battle. But, uh, you know, I, I, that's what I liked, that they restrained themselves from going, you know, a half hour of nothing but action. You know, they, they short and sweet it was. And, you know, I, I liked the characterization. I thought it was well, well made. And it's a shame that um, Disney didn't um, promote it more, you know, they, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, my joke was John Carter, that's Noah Wiley's character from the old TV show ER. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they could have just yeah, and they said, why don't they just call it John Carter of Mars? Because at the end of the film, after the credits, I think, it does show, it does say John Carter of Mars. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they took the Mars out of the title or what. And I know they didn't want to call it a Princess of Mars because there's a very bad, very, very low budget uh, version, Princess of Mars. I think it stars Antonio Sabato Jr. And it's not even anywhere near uh, Burroughs' vision. I I hate to say it, but it's a pretty bad film. I didn't know there was even... I didn't even know there was there was a, a low budget version made. Yeah, I think it went straight to video. Um, right, maybe I'd say roughly about a year before John Carter came out, and uh-huh. I didn't know about it either. A friend of mine discovered it. He bought the DVD, and it was so bad he he just passed it around and told people to either keep it or keep passing it. <laughs> and the young lady who passed. To me, she never finished watching it, and I stopped watching it. I think there was like 10 minutes left to go, and it was set in like some industrial complex, like you'd see in the X-Files or any other movie, and it just basically said, wait a minute, what the heck are they doing here? <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, it's laughable. It really is laughable. <laughs> Apologies to the stars and everything, but it is a laughable film. Yeah. Um, but. Well, well, uh, uh, let, let's talk about, let's talk a bit, uh, talk a bit about your um, space opera book since we mentioned it. Uh, Three Against the Stars. What What is that about? Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's from um, Airship 27, a small publishing house uh, by Ron, you know, Ron Fortier and Rob Davis. Uh, Three Against the Stars is basically my version of the movie Gunga Din. Um, and it involves uh, three Marine sergeants in the year 2170, I think it is. I forget the exact date. Uh, and, you know, it's after a major war, and we've made an alliance with, you know, a, a, an avian civilization who helped us get into the stars and everything. And uh, it basically involves um, the draconian hegemony, I can't even pronounce it sometimes, the dominant hegemony, uh, it's hard for me to say that word, but the draconian empire, they're proto-reptile, and they're trying to, you know, win this war uh, um, against this, like, space federation that includes Earth and some other planets. And on this planet, Rajnara, which is closely modeled on India, uh, 
and the the natives there are proto-feline, and they are just recovering from a war against the fascist regime, the Kandra, that, you know, had taken over the planet for a while. Well, the Kandra now is trying to come back into power, and they've allied themselves with uh, the Draconian Empire, and uh, later on it's discovered that there's a secret base of operations way deep in the desert of this huge, huge supercontinent. And, you know, my Marines get involved. And if you're uh, in, in, there's a corpsman, uh, a medic, uh, Maki Dune, and he's one of the, the, um, the, the Rajni. And um, he wants to be a Marine, just like Gunga Din wants to be a British soldier. And, uh, you know, it's their adventures. And, it's, you know, if you're familiar with the movie Gunga Din, Kipling's um, poem, you know, that's, that's my novel. And there's also a lot of the Three Musketeers in there. There's a lot of, you know, John Ford cavalry stuff in there. It's cavalry westerns like Fort Apache and all that. So I just took everything I love and threw it in a blender and came up with a very basic, simple plot and concentrated on the characters and their interactions with each other, their friendships, their loyalties, their arguments. And I based each one of them on, you know, on the characters from Gunga Din, although I turned, um, uh, I turned, I think it's Cary Grant's character, I turned into a female. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, the, uh, and then I tried, in their dialogue, I tried to make them uh, talk, like, Sergeant O'Hara, he's based on Victor McLaughlin, so I tried to give him that Irish Scottish brogue that Victor McLaughlin had, and um, Cortez, I based on the way his speaking patterns, I based on Pedro Armendariz, who played in a couple of the John Ford Westerns with John Wayne, and then um, Claudia Akira, she's a Sicilian Japanese, and she talks modern she's real hit and um yeah it's a, it's a fun novel you know mm-hmm. um, from what i'm hearing from people who've read it they like it i mean it, it, it's it's simple and direct a lot of action because that's what airship 27 uh like you know it's all fiction yeah so you, you keep the action and, and then you stop here and there to get the plot and the characters involved and everything there's a lot of easter eggs in there for people who have read a lot of space opera uh, there's Easter eggs to Star Wars and Flash Gordon. There's um, little nods to uh, Burroughs and to Dumas and, uh, you know, and Kipling. And I've even, you know, there's uh, like Fairbanks Mining Colony. That's south of Fairbanks. Uh, there's McLaughlin's Cafe. That's Victor McLaughlin. It opens up in a skirmish on a planet called Grant's Planet. So that honors Terry Grant. Um, but in the sequel, The Mech Men, I got a little bit more serious, a little bit more mature, and I stayed away from Easter eggs and little homages like that, except because robots play a huge part in the novel. Uh, Mech Men is the nickname, Mechanical Men. Mech Men mm-hmm. is nickname one of the Marines gives to these robots. And I, I call the robot Gort, G-O-R-T. 
get the nod to the day the earth stood still. But GORD stands for something, the Grand Order of Robot Technology. And there's ah. seven of them. And that's, you know, sort of, they're sort of the seven samurai. Oh, I see. And, uh, yeah, that's my little homage to, um, to a number of, of things. I mean, there's Moby Dick in there, there's Captain's Courageous, there's a lot of stuff in there that influenced it. That hopefully will be published sometime later this year. Awesome, awesome. Um, uh, Ariana, you wanted to ask? Yeah, um, I in your Amazon profiles, looking through some of your books, and it says I think you edited a book called "Hello, My Name Is Max and I Have Autism." Um, you is that that is your book that you edited, right? Yes. Um, uh, I just wanted to ask killer. you about that. Are you um like were you um is the kid in there? Is he like related to you or like a friend's kid or? Um, he, him and his mom are friends with uh, mutual friends that, they live in Colorado, we live in Illinois, and um, I met through our mutual friend, and uh, Rebecca was writing uh, an erotica romance um, under a different name, and she asked me to edit, which I did, and then her son, um, Max, who's high-functioning autistic, very creative. He wrote all these essays and stories and things about how he deals with his autism and mm -hmm. what it does to him, how he feels about it. And he's done, you know, drawings um, that illustrate his feelings, like he hates needles. So he's got a drawing of a fist brushing a needle, and he's got some other drawings that show how angry he gets when his autism really acts up and he starts skimming. Uh, I met him once. Uh, he makes you see things in, in a different way. He's a wonderful kid. Um, and he wanted to put this little book together. And he came up with the title and they asked me to edit it. And I didn't know I was getting my name on the cover <laughs> as editor. I, you know, I thought it would be inside the book, but he wanted my name on the cover. And what I did when I edited it was I basically check for um, typos, you know, spelling errors, punctuation errors, but grammatically, I left, I left it alone because I felt these are Max's words, mm -hmm. and for me to correct or change it would be wrong. This is at the time, I think he was 12 years old or something like that, and he's writing it, so why should I change what he wrote other than, you know, like I said, the correct spelling and punctuation? Yeah, that and makes a lot of sense. Mother, yeah, I mean, you know, the kid worked hard on it. And um, his mother then wrote her own story called Being Max's Mom, which is her story of being a single mom and how, if you know, they discovered Max was autistic. How she dealt with it, um, you know, she she calls you know uh, mothers of autistic children. She calls them warrior moms. Yeah. Warrior oh, awesome! Because well, of what they have to go through, well, and what she went through is a pretty incredible story. Oh, I bet. I mean, it had me it had me in tears too. 
Well, the reason I asked about your book, um, my mom worked with mentally disabled people for many years. She also worked in a house that had four girls who were autistic. And one in particular, um, since her since her parents um, lived in the same town that we did, we bring her to our, our house so she wouldn't have to drive out of town to pick up her daughter. So her name was Mandy, and she spent a lot of time at our house um, waiting for her mom to pick her up. So I've been around you know people like that since I was eight, nine years old. And uh, Mandy, she was very well behaved. Now, she probably wasn't as high functioning, probably as Max is. Um, but they could like point to pictures and say places they wanted to go. They had to be on a schedule. Their schedule, you know, wasn't quite right. It would, you know, cause behaviors. Um, but Mandy did like my mom's rocking chair and she loved to listen to the cranberries. We'd always have that CD on. And uh, so, yeah, she, it was, she was a really good gal. She was just a little bit younger in her mind. Um, but Still, it's just amazing, you know, and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm real familiar with people like that. Yeah, every autistic child and adult, and I have three or uh, three friends I grew up with have autistic kids mm -hmm. who are now, I mean, they're adults now, and um, a couple of um, friends I met later in life, and met the kids and the young adults, and they are all in incredibly smart and extremely creative. I mean, one of one of them plays in a band, a blues band, with all other autistic musicians. Oh, wow. And a lot of them, a lot of them draw. You know, they're, they're very much into, you know, paintings and drawings because expressing themse themselves artistically uh, seems to be a way of them to communicate express their feelings and their thoughts um, in ways which maybe they can't verbally. Mm -hmm. So they use a treatment outlet. But, you know, and I, I've, met, I've got a kid downstairs for me in my condo building who's about eight years old and he doesn't talk. Uh, Max didn't talk till he was about eight or nine. And I don't know at this point how if the kid's going to end up, you know, being high-functioning or not, he's starting to make vocal sounds and, um, and, and attempting to communicate. So there's still the hope that he will, you know, learn to talk. Oh, yeah. Down the road. They said therapy in school and all that. It's, um, I'm sure when I was in grade school, there were kids that went to our school and they were different and we didn't know, you know, we just thought they were different and they were probably autistic. Uh, but, you know, we didn't know that back in the 60s when I was in grade school. Mm -hmm. But we have a lot of, a lot of friends had um, typically immensely challenged siblings uh, in our neighborhood. So, you know, growing up, we never bullied or kicked on those kids because they were the brothers and sisters of kids you hung out with. So we were always protective of, of all those kids. Anybody's brother and sister were protective of, regardless of them being, you know, challenged or not. Mm -hmm. And now we know more. Yeah. You know, I never heard the word until about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great that you edited that book. And, you know, it's great that Max had the opportunity to do this. I mean, I just think that's awesome. There's so many people that could benefit from his story. So um, I just wanted to say that's a wonderful thing that you did. Yeah, I'm very proud of that, and I do run their, I manage their um, 
Facebook page, Insight into the Mind of an Autistic Child. Mm-hmm. Um, I manage that. I do posts on it whenever I find anything about, you know, articles relating to autism and that. And then I'll see a lot of stuff from, they're involved with autism awareness. Mm-hmm. And they run something called the Blue Ribbon Arts Council, oh, which wow. supplies um, art supplies to autistic kids. And Max's big dream is to create a um, an art camp for autistic kids. From what his mother told me, he's the youngest person to be in charge of like a charitable organization that he's trying to get off the ground. That's awesome. So they work closely with us awareness and um Max has sold a lot of books. I mean it's like, hey, he's out selling me and I'm proud <laughs> of him for that. That's awesome. Because he touched yeah, he touched the nerve. He touched the cord in people and people are responding and it helps bring, you know, parents when they go to these events, they meet a lot of parents who just their children or their child is autistic and they're at a loss. They don't know what to do. So Rebecca and Max are there to help guide them and steer them in the right direction of seeking help because of everything they went through. So she's passing on her story and what she's learned to others. Cool. That, that's and, just awesome. Know, they're doing a great thing. It is. It's really awesome. That, that's that's great. I'm glad I, I kind of ran into that because, like I said, my mom took care of autistic girls and she took care of other mentally uh, disabled people for so many years. I mean, I spent my time after school in a at where my mom worked as a house. You know, they all lived, you know, in different, you know, lived all lived there and they'd have dinner and all that. And we'd actually some of the high functioning ones my brother and I would talk to and hang out with till our mom got off work. So. Yeah, I had good conversations with Max. We watched a couple of movies together. And, um, I mean, he's learning how to cook and take care of himself. Because, like his mother said, you know, there's not many people that are going to take care of him. Yeah. If anything happens. And she wants him to be self-sufficient. And he is. I mean, he's a mason. Um, he, um, he plays saxophone. He's teaching himself guitar. Um, oh, and bagpipes. Oh, bagpipes. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Cool. So I told them, I said, at my funeral, you can play the bagpipes. Because I always want to bagpipe That's awesome. Um, Joe, I wanted to talk just briefly about um, what what really drew me into your your different works, and that's the uh, the your Dorgo the Dowser uh, series. Uh, what what is that? What is that about? Uh, what what's that series about? And what what uh, what inspired you to to create it? Well, for years, you know, in the seventies, I was trying to write heroic fantasy, and it was just coming back rejection. It's more in those days they wanted different things, and I was writing more of the same, mm. and um, I had. You know, I had to come up with something. So one night I watched the Maltese Falcon on TV and I thought of the, and then the night before that I had watched Gorgo on TV. So Gorgo comes from Gorgo and um, 
the Vaulting Falcon. I said, well, what about, you know, a heroic fantasy with a character who's sort of, you know, a gumption like Sam Spade and mm-hmm. Philip Marvel? And um, then I watched the Rifleman episode where um, a dowser comes to town during a drought. And people hire him to try and, you know, find water. And I thought, well, that would be a good nickname, Dorgo the Dowser. And what he's doing is he's solving crime. And um, the first story sold but never got published. And then I just dropped the idea. And then I think it was in 2006 or so, I decided, you know, I was reading a lot of Raymond Chandler. And I don't know, something happened while I was rewriting the first story. It clicked on me that I called him Dorgo the Dowser. Why not give him a dowsing rod uh, to help him solve crime? So the dowsing rod is a very special dowsing rod, and I hope one day to tell the whole story about how he came into possession. I hinted how he did. I kind of tell you this, but I never um, tell you the whole story. I just tell you how he got it. And it can detect, you know, like it. Any crime where magic was uh, involved, he could detect the traces of, of leftover magic. If it, you know, if there's ectoplasm involved, if it's you know, like it's more of a ghostly, supernatural thing, if demons were involved, it could detect it. So he could basically get an idea of what killed this person or who stole this thing, and um, and that thing. So. And I said, you know, I haven't read any heroic fantasy or sword sorcery that had some wild loose. So I said, I'm going to try and write my stories as if Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett were writing heroic fantasy. And um, so, you know, and that led to, you know, first story and then the second, the third and all that. And I decided to write them all in first person. So one story is told in third person because it really had to be told that way. And after that, you know, things just seemed to be falling into place with ideas and everything. And I, and in the second book, I tried to expand on that, tell you more about its world, the dowsing rod, what it can do, what it is, and that there are all sorts of dowsing rods. And then I discovered that in the real world, um, dowsing rods are part of the metaphysical um, side of things, it, you know, like heating crystals and all that. And there's all kinds of dowsing rods. There's even an American uh, society of dowsing, uh, the American Dowsing Society, I think it's called. Yeah, it- and I've got a number of rods here, uh, different kinds. But I made mine, you know, to suit what I needed. Um, and um, I'm working on the third book, which will be a, quite a while before that's done. I'd like to republish a revised edition of the first book. In fact, um, Erica Zabo, uh, with whom I wrote two children's novels, uh, she did a brand new cover for the first Mad Shadows. Oh, awesome. Keeping yeah, keeping basically the idea of what the original cover is was a little bit of different. So we, we stuck with that theme and everything. And um, 
hopefully in a couple of years I'll do a revised edition of of it, not expanded, but revised, just fixing up some things and um, and then going on from there. Like I said, I'm working on the third one off and on, which at this point is, you know, about 125,000 words. It won't be much bigger than that, but uh, it's a little different. It's a little bit more of the epic tone with, you know, with the big battle and all that. And we'll learn more about Dorgo and his dowsing rod and what happens to it and the origins of it. And then, the good Lord willing, I'd like to do a fourth book. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the theme of the first book, short stories, novelettes. And just yeah. be separate adventures. Right. To further it because um, that was a lot of fun and, and people loved it. With the second book, there are three novellas, but they all tie in. They tie in more closely because the first novella sets up um, the plot for the second novella. And then what happens in the second novella is played out in the third novella. So it's a three part novel. And, um, And I, you know, I, I really like to get back into writing the short stories. Um, mm-hmm. I really kind of enjoy writing short stories. I write for Janet Morris uh, for her first day press. And Janet, you know, famous for, you know, the Heroes in Hell series and um, her Sacred Band, uh, Heroic Fantasy, especially the Sacred Band novel and the, trilogy, the Beyond Sanctuary trilogy, which those four books I consider to be, you know, right up there with Tolkien and everything else. And um, I've had three stories so far published in three volumes, The Heroes in Hell. Um, the fourth story will be out sometime this year in, in another volume of Heroes in Hell. And I think we're up to uh, 21 novels now, Heroes in Hell. It started in 1986. And, um, wow, that's quite a run. Before, yeah, they it, it kind of ended in 99, or uh-huh. roughly in 99. And then, because of her creation, she created, her husband created their own small press called Percy Ed Press. Mm-hmm. And um, they resurrected the series in 2011. So there were three volumes uh, before I got involved. And my fourth story will be in uh, the one coming up, Lovers in Hell. And then next year is Planned Mystics in Hell. And I'm working on that story off and on uh, at the same time. And I got a couple other short stories uh, coming out sooner or later. We did have uh, another woman I uh, collaborated with, Shabbat Legion. She and I wrote a story called, her title, which I love, uh, Samuel Bentwell in the Little Black Cloud of the Apocalypse. And um, <laughs> it's for Michael Hansen's um, Shaddai series. Shaddai is like chaos. And um, I think this is like the fifth or sixth volume in that series. And uh, she approached me. She said, you want to write another story together? Because we wrote one together for uh, Poets in Hell. And I said, sure. And she gave me the idea, and we worked on it. And uh, that just came out. Uh, it's called Shada Toy. <laughs> and it's basically about the 
really weird toy store, and it's set in Chicago, uh, where I live, and uh, around Oz Park. Now, Oz Park is was it when I was a kid when I used to hang down in that neighborhood. It was just a vacant lot. But years, years later, uh, I don't know, the city purchased it, whatever, and they turned it into a really nice little park. And there are statues of Dorothy Togo uh, and the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow there. And it's, you know, in honor of Frank Baum. And um, so we set it there because, well, that's the setting Michael Hansen proposed. So being familiar with the neighborhood and the streets and all that. And then we just wrote the story around that. We did some really wild things. And it involved a real strange Pez dispenser, too. <laughs> uh, so that, yeah, that just came out. We didn't know if we could use Pez. <laughs> um, we were calling it something else. But Michael's partner, who has done a lot of this type of thing before, he says, no, you can use Pez. sounds like an, a pretty outstanding, uh, interesting uh, series. Um, yeah, it, it's a little series that Mike Hansen put together over the years, and I got to know him because he's one of the writers, Janet Morris, for Heroes in Hell, and um, he wanted me to write for him a couple years ago, but I was working on something else, so um, Shabat asked him, she goes, well, can I collaborate with Joe? And he said, great. And so, you know, I just joke because we became friends, Mike and I. So I finally got into a volume and, um, and, and a lot of good writers involved. Okay. He, he gets the a beautiful looking book, too. Okay, Joe, um, that sounds really awesome. I hate to cut you off, but we're getting down to like the three minute mark now. Um, <laughs> so um, it's been. I, I, I have no idea how long this goes on. It's so. okay, no problem. Um, We've loved hearing about all your stories, and I really loved hearing about the, you know, the, the Max with the autism and learning more about space opera. Um, you know, it's always interesting to hear, you know, about the different genres. So, you know, we really thank you for coming on and talking to us. It, you know, you had a lot of really interesting things to say. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for inviting me. I was, you know, like it came out of nowhere. It was a nice surprise. I want to thank you both for inviting me, and you know, I hope I. 
make some sense here. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, you do. Sure. Yeah. And you're always welcome to come back. This isn't like your only time. Yeah. <laughs> well, anytime you need a guest, you know, and I can always provide plenty of guests for you, too. I know a lot of people would love to be on a oh, podcast. That awesome. would be awesome. We always need more guests, Joe. Yeah. Always <laughs> feel free to send them our way, Joe. Yeah. I definitely will. I'll, I'll tell them about your Facebook page. I've already tapped on the web, the, the link, so they can listen to the show. Awesome. That's great. So uh, people know about it. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Joe, and you know, best of luck with everything that you have going on. Sounds like you have a lot of plans, and we hope to talk to you again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good luck to you, and you know, I'm going to be tuning into the show from you know time to time too. Now that I know about it, awesome, awesome, sounds great. Okay, you guys take care and have a great weekend. You too. You too. All right. Bye bye. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you. So that was our, our guest, Joe Bonadonna. Bon- Bonadonna. Bonadonna. I always feel bad I can't say his last name. And next week, um, we will be having Jillian Lange, right? Jillian Lange. Uh, she is a cosplayer. I actually know her from work. She's a good old gal. Awesome. Um, she, she doesn't work at m- my workplace anymore, but she did for a short time. Great. And, yeah, she, she cosplays. And for cool. those of you, you that don't know what cosplaying is, it's dressing up as different, like, science fiction, fantasy, comic book, horror characters and stuff. Awesome. Well, we look forward to that. And make sure you all watch our Facebook page for tomorrow's link. 90 seconds. If I'm able to go live on video, I will. But I will be recording a session with Zuri Alexander. And definitely we'll have the link up once it's finished. And I will try to go live if it's possible. Um, Until then, we'll see you all next week. Good night. Good night. Seconds. Don't forget to subscribe to the Rift Network here on Block Talk Radio to receive notifications on our daily shows and future events. One more? Become a traveler of the Rift by following us on social media Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website from our link in our blog talk page. Become a cosmic traveler on the rift. At this time, the rift network would like to recognize its sponsors. The insurance doctor wanted to say for your insurance needs. Divine magic and novelties. Your wonder with warrior. Glassworks Gallery, Sprayville, Virginia, for all of your glasswork needs. The Skeleton Key, you've always had the key. And Awakening Spirit Fun Productions. Thank you to all of you and your support.